Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, everybody. We want to introduce you to Jennifer Friend from the Project Hope Alliance. We are partnering with her, Neil and I, with Changing the Story. And we're very, very proud to be part of this, this project right now, now more than ever. We need your help. We need to help our children. And so we very much are excited to bring you Jennifer and the Project Hope Alliance and see that we can do great good in the world. Thank you. We're so grateful for this partnership. You know, in Orange County alone, there's over 28,000 children in our public education system experiencing homelessness. But we know that if we invest in our kids today, they won't be homeless tomorrow. Um, We've really seen that there is a $264 ROI for every $100 invested at Project Hope for our programming that we're doing with our homeless children and youth. Well, thank, thank you for all the hard work, Jennifer. And we're running a special, uh, I guess we'll call it a contest. We're going to try and raise money for Project Hope Alliance. Uh, there's a special page on our website. Check out the note below. And please participate and please donate of yourself. Time as well as your money is always appreciated. They're always looking for skills and any kind of help they can get. And it's a really worthy cause. So thank you for your help. Thank, thank you. you. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Hey, I'm really happy to welcome our guest today, Rackley Berdizzi, the head of the Center of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics at UNICRI, which is the United Nations of Interregional Crime and Justice Research Institute. So Rackley has more than 20 years of experience in leading multilateral negotiations, developing stakeholder engagement programs with governments, UN agencies, international organizations, private industry and corporations, as well as think tanks, civil society, foundations, academia, and other partners on an international level. Rackley is advising governments, international organizations on numerous issues related to the international security, scientific and technological developments, emerging technologies, innovation disruptive potential of technologies, particularly on the issue of crime prevention, criminal justice, and security. He's supporting governments worldwide on the strategies, action plans, and romads, and policy papers on AI, artificial intelligence. Rackley is an international gender champion supporting the IGC panel parity pledge. He's also a recipient of recognition on the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize to the OCPW in 2013. Hey, welcome to the show, Rackley. Uh, thank you very much, Neil. I'm really happy to be with you at the show together with Michael. Thank you. Thank you. So, Rackley, as a visionary, what is the story that you would like to bring to the world? Uh, Michael, I think that we can talk about future of policing, how policing and police force is going to look like in the future. What is it it's going to entail and how we're going to interact with it? How are we going to interpret enormous amount of data which we are accumulating, how police is going to use its innovations responsibly and how we all going to benefit out of it in principle? So can you give us a, a vision of what that looks like? Um, how can policing get better? How can people feel safer? What does that world look like? 
especially in uh, during this situation, what we are seeing right now in the world, I think this topic is extremely important. We see uh, governments taking uh, different type of measures related to the lockdowns and limitations of the movements, and uh, and and governments are using all sort of innovations and police forces also using a lot of in, a lot of innovations for uh, to in, enforce or uh, impose some of these limitations now what what is really important and what is something that i've been emphasizing a lot is that how to ensure that all of this is unfolding in a responsible manner now let's travel uh, 15 20 years down the road right that's the type of future you want to discuss michael sure yeah yeah, uh, ideally, of course, um, we would have less crime, we would have no crime, and we would not need policing, but this is not going to happen. So I think that what is uh, something we need to be looking at is that how, what is the vision of police in the future to me is a smart or smarter police force that integrates new technologies in a particular artificial intelligence or other uh, related tech like bio, uh, biometrics, drones, and patrol bot, but uses it with uh, in a responsible manner. So what it means is that they have enhanced surveillance capabilities, perhaps, but use it sparingly, limited in purpose, limited in time, and always proportionate. Overall, they understand and respect human rights and fundamental freedoms, and that's extremely, extremely important. And what is also important is that public people, citizens know exactly what their data is used for. And ideally there is a greater or, or, or full transparency how police is using this technology. Because the question about whether police force will be using technology or not, obviously uh, is answered, it will be, and AI will be used for, uh, for policing. But what is key is to ensure that this is used responsibly, this is used uh, exactly how citizens and people would approve this to be used. When it comes to like, you know, your really powerful point about no crime, it, you know, it's interesting in that people expect technology either to work perfectly, perfectly, right? It's right 100% of the time or it's not really worth anything or they expect it to actually fail in like complex situations. And, you know, you, you given the, the, the gravity of some of these situations, how do we kind of balance this expectation, right? Because it's it's never going to be perfect, and sometimes it, it will make mistakes, like like people do. How do we kind of juggle that when it comes to like responsible AI? Right. I mean, this is this is a good question, Neil. And obviously, one of the lasting effects of the situation what we are having right now, fortunately or unfortunately, is going to be uh, increased uh, digitization and and long lasting data policy debate, what is right, what is wrong, how our data should be used, and balance between privacy and security in different parts of the world, most likely there will be different approaches like it is right now, and this is not going to change overnight. However, what is that something we would need to do and how what we, uh, from our side, actually from the Center for AI and Robotics of Munich, we are doing is that we are trying to assist member states and, and law enforcement agencies there to have a full understanding what are the best practices of responsible use of AI. In fact, yesterday, together with Interpol, we issued a, a quite a comprehensive report on uh, 
AI for law enforcement towards AI responsible innovation. And over there, uh, half of the um, uh, half of the report actually is dedicated to ethics and uh, and uh, human rights and how concerns about human rights and civil liberties are real and serious and how it can undermine the principles of law, like presumption of innocence, privilege against self-incrimination, or proof beyond reasonable doubt, and damage public trust, and how we should ensure that general uh, principles of respect for human rights, justice, democracy, and rule of law is enshrined there, and requirements of um, things like fairness, accountability, transparency, and explainability is always underlined. Um, and uh, we are also developing uh, uh, special programs together with Interpol and what we call it toolkits for use of AI by law enforcement. And by these toolkits, we are helping countries to adopt this technology in a responsible manner. So this is a quite a global program which we started and we are unfolding it now and we will be already piloting in some countries and, and adopting it. Rackley, I'd heard um, that some of the best ways to do police patrolling is to establish uh, an interpersonal relationship with the people in the community. Um, in the olden days, that meant knocking on doors, introducing yourself, really being a part of the, the civic uh, community, that realm. How can we marry technology with good old fashioned, get out there and meeting people and being a part of the community? How can we infuse both of those into the future of policing? Michael, great question. Look, I mean, uh, focus on community-oriented policing will really increase in the future, and I hope it will, and it will sort of enable to have better communication skills for the police officers, and some of the tools, technological tools, can uh, can support the uh, law enforcement agencies to improve their skills. Uh, more uh, police officers should become and, and, and ideally be more tolerant in interactions with citizens, display deeper understanding of policing and criminal justice system. And, and many of these things, technological innovations will definitely support, whether it's through the education, through the communication tools, or through other tools like uh, fully understanding the needs of the citizens. And needs of the citizens will also be exemplified in data and and. Uh, uh, look, we are collecting enormous amount of data. Uh, in by 2010, we had only one zettabyte of data accumulated totally, and by now in 2020, we have 40 zettabytes of data. And what is projected is by 2025, we're going to have 175 zettabytes of data globally accumulated. And and and, and certainly, uh, no. Uh, or no agency will be able to uh, interpret some of the data, which would be very helpful to ensure the needs of the citizens at the same time to ensure public safety and order as well. That therefore, technological innovations will play a greater role, education, communication, and understanding of uh, needs of the citizens. So with all this data, I mean, what are some of the solutions that you see already coming out there? Like I know Dubai has you know, some robot police officers to help with traffic and other things. I mean, what, what do you see or what's being done with this data? Well, I mean, some of it, I mean, some, uh, some of it are effective, some of it uh, yet to be seen, what will be effective. For example, during these pandemic times right now, what I what we see some of the use cases of, uh, like, let's say, purely AI being used is, for example, automatic number plate recognition. And this is exactly... The 
This is using driver's license plate systems to detect if they are uh, essential workers and if they are violating, for example, uh, quarantine situations. So there are facial recognitions with thermal sensors, and, and this has been used a lot in the UK. Some of it has been criticized by the uh, by the recipients, by by people, and there are a lot of sort of a similar type of um, balancing debate between security and privacy. So there will be more and more applications in the future. And uh, and what we need to ensure again, and something I've been emphasizing a lot, and I also issued some recommendations recently, which was reflected in some of my recent articles, that what we need to ensure and how to use the uh, how to use AI responsibly would be to ensure that data is anonymized. Uh, there is a clear purpose limitation. There is a clear time limitation that government must really ensure that this type of exceptional capabilities are scaled back after uh, certain situations. Right now, it's COVID-19. In the future, there might be something else. But there has to be a clear data a time limitation attached to it. And also knowledge sharing and open access data that AI use cases and data should is shared and transparently. Now, on this, uh, Neil, if you allow me, I think extremely important in the future should be, for the police of the future, will be a global harmonization of the use of technology. We now have a, we, uh, a, a great digital divide, and this digital divide is growing. It is exemplified that 40 countries have uh, AI national strategies investing a lot, and others uh, are uh, slow behind, and they are not. And this might uh, create a dangerous situation where we will have a larger digital divide. So many countries, regions are more advanced than the others. In the future, we will have, and hopefully we'll have bridged this divide. And uh, for instance, in different parts of, part of the world, we'll operate with the same technological capabilities like in the advanced places. In the future, Hopefully, police will also share and exchange experiences and lessons learned on their use of technology so that we tackle crime as one and minimize wasting limited resources. And this will be an extremely important task for all of us to ensure that no country stays behind. I want to go back to what you mentioned before about the idea that the, uh, the government was scanning license plates to determine who was essential and who wasn't essential. Now, uh, if we take that to a, an, its logical conclusion, I mean, what what if a person was out and they have they have their reason for being out? Maybe they have a sick relative, they have an emergency, and they're getting a ticket, uh, or they're getting a fine here. I mean, how this is two parts. I mean, how do we determine um, that we're doing this in equitable fashion, and how can people have a say in this? You know, I, I'm I am concerned uh, that a, a ticket would just go out because the government says this person is essential, this person isn't essential. I mean, what about disenfranchised parts of the population? Can they get a say in terms of uh, how this technology is being used to keep them safe? Michael, uh, look, uh, in my vision of the ideal future of policing is that every citizen fully understands what is their data is used for and they give full consent of it, not just like clicking on something without reading, but fully comprehending what it is, what it entails. Okay. Um, 
citizens fully understand the technical or technological capabilities, what is being used by law enforcement, and they also participating in allowing governments to use this. Now, different parts of the world, again, there will be different degrees of the tolerance, what and how the data should be used and what sort of technology uh, should be used. And I think it is okay. We don't need to have completely universal level of degree of compliance or degree of tolerance towards that. People should be free to decide uh, what what they should, uh, how to balance uh, safety, uh, security with the privacy related issues. But what I would like and what would be really ideal to see is that full participation of the citizens in this process and full compliance or full comprehension of how this technology is used. Maybe I, I can shift gears a little bit because I know part of what you do is around justice and access to justice is one of the sustainable development goals. What I mean, what trends are happening in the justice side of the house? Look, I mean, uh, Neil, uh, it's, it's also a good question. It's a different uh, part of the story here. We're talking about judiciary here. We're talking about uh, court systems and, and uh, certainly uh, technological developments, AI and other technology will definitely be used uh, in, uh, in court systems in different parts of the world. Here, situation is also the same and quite similar. Uh, it is okay to augment some of the processes. It is okay to to use technology to understand and interpret certain certain data for uh, uh, for reaching better results. But at the same time, again, this should be done in a responsible manner. This should be done in compliance with the universal principles of human rights and all principles which is adopted by uh, globally. Well. Follow on that because I 100% agree with the responsible, right? And it's it's a bit of a challenge because I know there's some folks that are actively talking about having like AI robot judges, and you know there's actually a ton of training data out there to try and do something like that. Because ironically, at least in the U.S., one of the one of the big factors in how judges make decisions or rulings is how hungry they are. Mm -hmm. so definitely some bias there, but you know I also look at the U.S. court system. And if we were to just use that data, there's some implicit bias in there, right? We know that unfortunately some ethnicities get harsher sentences and other ethnicities might get lighter sentences. I mean, how do, how do we balance that out? Can we balance it out? Do we have to take a whole different approach when it comes then to justice and perhaps even law enforcement? Well, that's a million dollar question, uh, Neil, of course. Uh, um, all data in principle and potentially can be biased. It is harvested by humans. It is created by humans and humans inherently are biased one way or the other. Now, at the same time, all the discussions related to the robot judges and using AI as judges, we still uh, have not reached to that potential. We have not seen any AI capable of uh, 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 doing that, that type of a job. And uh, you as an AI specialist can probably confirm that at the moment we don't really have uh, advancements in technology to that level. And whether we will ever have such advancements or not, it really remains to be seen. Uh, although what is really possible is to shorten some of the processes and use the technology, use artificial intelligence applications to 
uh, optimize the processes, including in the court systems. And those things are uh, feasible and you can see it on the ethical side, whether we would like to see a machine taking a decision on people's lives, that's a very sort of a controversial issue. And, uh, and I would not want to see a machine taking a decision, honestly, personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk about policing and we talk about uh, AI judges. I mean, we're also, it seems to me, we're talking about dealing with the symptoms of, of a problem. We're not talking about the problem itself in some ways. We're being reactive. So because this show is about future visions, um, you mentioned before you don't see that we're, we're, uh, we're free of crime in 15 to 20 years. But what if we were able to use AI and technologies to not just deal with the symptoms, but to deal with the underlying systemic challenges? How could we use AI to fix the, the greater system that we live in to make it more equitable so that there weren't especially crimes uh, re uh, regarding theft um, and violence? How can we begin to fix the system uh, using technology? Yeah, uh, great question, Michael. Uh, yeah, again, situation what we are having now probably will be a greater uh, um, uh, optimization of and and replacement of the jobs. There will be more and more electronic tools, more and more digital tools available, and probably some of the jobs would be replaced. Some of the jobs become will become uh, online oriented or virtual oriented, uh, and, and and this might create certain uh, certain. Uh, problems in the long term, uh, at least in the long term perspective. Uh, and, and this might be a really good opportunity for us to rethink some of the aspects and the ways how we were conducting business and how we're going to build our security, our economy, or, or future, a future of even policing, if you ask. And, and uh, perhaps uh, we should be using these opportunities to define what is it that we want to have, what, uh, what sort of future we want to live in, and what is it that our citizens will be enjoying, and how to get there. Therefore, it has to be a collective effort, and I believe that it has to be an inclusive effort where the entire world participates, and we don't have a sort of selected few who are deciding for others. Therefore, I'm advocating a, a, a great deal for adoption of a different type of digital strategies for the countries that uh, they understand the pros and cons of this technology, invest in different directions so that we avoid the, these digital divides and these dangerous situations, which I've, I've referred to earlier. Sorry. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely we, interesting times we live in. It sounds like we don't we're not going to be worrying about robot judges or robocops in the near future, but, you know, maybe think a little short term, six months, 12 months, you think what's like one big thing you think might happen? Ooh, uh, in six months and 12 months, um, hard to say, Neil, what will be one big thing what will happen? There will be several things what will be happening. And for example, in my field, and I tell you what are the positive consequences of, of this pandemic and this pandemic situation. We, uh, a few days ago, we conducted a major meeting together with Interpol. And I managed to bring more people from wider geographical distribution than ever were possible physically. We had people from 
Asia, we had people from we had people from Southeast Asia, we had people from Africa, from South America, from Europe. I had a panel where we had a, uh, we had participants from California, from United Kingdom, from United Arab Emirates, from China and New Zealand, and this was amazing to do this in a physical way. That would have been that we would have to spend a lot of money, a lot of resources, and may not even have achieved such a level of participation. In November, we're going to conduct a third global meeting. We have a series of global meetings together with Interpol on, on AI and law enforcement. And we decided that most of it will be virtual. We will still brand it as this meeting will be conducted in The Hague because this is the time when we do it in The Hague. But 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 uh, virtual participation will ensure that we will have law enforcement agencies from all over the world participating while even three, four months ago, discussing that would have been very difficult because everybody was advocating a physical meetings and you had to fly here and you had to spend a lot of money. Now, what has changed a lot and what, what brought the positiveness to it is this inclusive participation that everyone is equal, everyone can participate and not only the ones who can afford the plane ticket or hotel or who, can, who should be sponsored for the participation. I think it is wonderful. Awesome. That, is, that is good to get all that inclusivity. So um, if you had to depict or tell us what the, the police officer looks like in the future, what is this individual like? Let's say it's five years from now. How is it different from the police officer of today? Smart, compassionate, technologically advanced, but at the same time, fully understanding the needs of the citizens and fully understanding its own accountability. Fantastic. And and what I would also like to add there is that what I would like to see is a greater participation of women in police force uh, and uh, and to see uh, a, a parity in the gender participation of uh, all genders in, uh, in the police uh, and some which we are already seeing increasing trend, but in the future certainly we should uh, we should definitely be uh, advocating and pushing forward to that uh, aspect as well. Look, that would be awesome. And I hope that's a really, really near-term thing and not something way out there. But we'll, I think we'll all work to change the story on that one. Um, <laughs> Arakli, you know, how, how can people get in touch with you to learn more, learn what Unicree is doing, maybe see how they can try and help or get involved? Well, we have um, uh, Unicree is a United Nations agency. We have a website and there is uh, easy to reach us. People can personally reach me on LinkedIn, for example. I'm posting uh, quite a lot of information related to the center, what we are doing, what are the activities, what are the papers or uh, reports we are issuing. Therefore, it's uh, not difficult to get hold of me. Fantastic. Hey, this has been fan this has been excellent. Thank you, Rathi, for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, thank and thanks a lot, Neil. Thanks a lot, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.